From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Tom Pelfrey in the Netflix series Ozark. He plays Wendy Bird's wayward brother, Ben, who is grappling with bipolar disorder amid the tensions of the drug cartel's dealings. Tom gives me some insight into how he prepared for his intense breakout role in season three. I'd started looking at a few books. I'd gone to a bookstore in Atlanta, but then I, I think I went online. And I found myself encountering frequent comments about an unquiet mind. And, and when I got that book and just understood the premise of it, it spoke to me as factual and technical, but also very personal. Tom also opens up about acting alongside Laura Linney and Janet McTeer on Ozark and how working in soap operas shaped him as an actor. So let's get to it. It's 1945. Hitler is defeated. America is looking to outsmart a new enemy, the Soviet Union. To advance in rocketry, aviation, and chemical weapons, America recruits scientists and engineers who fueled the war machine of another nation, Nazi Germany. Operation Paperclip brought the Third Reich's most ingenious and often villainous men to the United States. The War Department thought if we let them go back to Germany, some other nation will pick them up and use them against us. His file said he was 100% Nazi, a dangerous type. Somehow, the file was changed and he came in. I'm Michael Ian Black. Join me and historian Monique Laney on the series Paperclip, funded by Amazon Studios and produced by LA Time Studios in support of the Emmy-eligible original drama series Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Lerman. Available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Adjusting to the new normal. Why don't you tell our listeners where you're calling us from? Yeah, so I'm calling you from the Catskill Mountains. And at my house up here, I don't have high-speed internet, unfortunately. So it's like a satellite internet, and it uh, it's very slow. So I can't stream things. My cell phone doesn't work. I can't call anybody. And I couldn't do this at my house. So luckily, I have some good friends who run a store in town. And at this store, they have a back office that they haven't used in the last few months. So they let me come here and sit in their back office and <laughs> connect to their Wi-Fi. <laughs> So that I can talk to you. <laughs> so would you say it's a blessing or a curse to not have, you know, reliable Wi-Fi right now? That's that's a good question. I mean, in the beginning, when I first got the house, I thought it would be a blessing. And in some ways, it really is. But in this situation, you know, it has started to feel a bit more like a curse. <laughs> so how how are you spending your time right now when you're not doing interviews? I found myself doing a lot of work around the house. And I have to tell you something strange that's happened that I, I didn't think would happen. And friends and family are probably going to want documented evidence of this. But I've begun to enjoy cleaning. <laughs> I really do. Like yesterday, I was like, oh, what could I do right now? I put the dog outside, got the vacuum out. I was like, this is 
This is great. <laughs> Seriously, my one pleasure in life right now is cleaning my baseboards. Like, I don't even let dust settle anymore. They are, like, spotless. Yeah, it. I never understood. I mean, so many friends are like, you know, it's calming, it's meditative. And I was like, yeah, right. And now I, now I get it. <laughs> so not a lot of uh, catching up on TV, maybe, because of the Wi-Fi situation. Or have you found a way? Not so much. So what I can do is I can sort of like download a show if I pre-record it. If I do that ahead of time, like a day ahead of time, then I can kind of watch something. But as far as current television shows go, I'm pretty behind. I had to get actually really clever just to be able to watch Ozark. Well, let's talk about Ozark. I mean, you joined the show in its third season as Ben, who's the brother of Wendy, played by Laura Linney. And viewers learn that your character is living with bipolar disorder. I know you did research for this role, and part of that was reading An Unquiet Mind by Kate Jamison. Yeah. She's a doctor and she understands these things, but it's also her onset of uh, bipolar when she was a teenager and how it affected her confidence in her friendships and her relationships, how it changed her dynamic with her family, how it really, you know, played a role in her going on to college and higher education and how difficult that made things at times and then eventually how it interacted with her and her job. And the thing about it that was eye-opening that I don't know that you could get anywhere else was here's this young woman who is studying mental illness and she doesn't realize that she has bipolar. It just sort of gives you an idea or a, or a glimpse, really, into what that must be like. So that even somebody who knows exactly what that disorder is and who studies it while experiencing it didn't realize what she was experiencing. So, yeah, I found, I found that, that book to be extremely helpful. Well, what were some of the details that helped things click for you, like in terms of helping you even find the physicality of the character? Mm, that's that's a really interesting question. One thing that that I found fascinating was to listen to Kay talk about her earliest manic episodes. I'd never heard them described like this, but what she was saying was that she had this influx of energy and she also had the knowledge at the time that she understood all the secrets of the universe, that like everything made sense, everything was interconnected, she could see it all in a way that maybe nobody else could. This just blending of all of this uh, sensory input and it, you got the feeling of this like wildly creative, empowered, romantic, amazing experiences that she said the more the time went on would be followed by these depressive episodes. And I thought that that was a really important clue to understand that, you know, as she got older and as there was more at stake, her manic episodes would also result in horrible behavior and really hurt her life. But that she was also saying that on some level, you know, going on lithium, going on the medicine, that it dulled down her feeling of herself. And I think that it was really important to understand how someone struggling with bipolar could feel truly 
that they didn't want to be on their medicine anymore. Because it would be so easy to look at that from the outside and say, obviously, there's something not right. Clearly, this medicine helps you make it better. Why would you ever stop taking it? You know, as if as if somebody who would stop taking it, that they're just lazy or selfish or blah, blah. But it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, she felt as if it was taking a part of her. And of course, as a doctor, she says over and over again, the most important thing is to stay on your medicine. But as the actor, I think it was very helpful to hear this very intelligent, articulate woman explain why she got off the medicine at times after she'd started it. And it was a very, very human, very understandable reasons. When I spoke to Chris before we started filming, he said at some point Ben would be off of his medicine and understanding from reading her book what that might look like. I knew that just technically speaking, I would need a lot of energy. And once that became clear to me, I just started um, exercising as, as much as I could to get myself in good enough shape so that when those days came, I didn't ever have to feel like I had nothing more to give. You know, because like you're filming some of those scenes like the arguing with Janet McTeer, you know, yelling at Helen down by the water. And it's like, yeah, that's a three minute scene. But that scene took us, you know, three or four hours to film and it was a hundred degrees outside. So you, you know, you just know from doing this for a while that that's how it works and you want to be really prepared for that. So, so yeah, I just, I felt like I wanted to be in really good shape. And I also felt like Ben isn't the kind of guy who goes to the gym. So I just did all the kind of workouts I could do by myself, yoga, push-ups, pull-ups, running, you know, stuff like that. Well, as with any depiction of mental illness in culture, particularly on screen, there's a lot of debate within the community about whether a portrayal reflects them or not. Did that weigh heavy on you, you know, at the start of taking this on? The thing that I think always weighs heavy or or the the responsibility I always feel is to to be as honest as possible because whatever it is that you're playing there are people out there who've experienced it I don't understand what this thing is if it isn't our best attempt at getting towards the truth so the caveat to that is to understand that like none of this takes place in a vacuum a mental illness is going to manifest differently in you, perhaps, than it would in me. And so every individual person is going to have a different experience with um, bipolar disorder. And also that experience will not just be different based on the person, but based on the situation they're in. You know, I think something that is important to keep in mind when you think about Ben and, and what he was going through and how these things sort of manifested is to to understand that he's in a insanely complicated circumstances, you know, a really extre super extreme, violent, high stakes, life or death circumstances that one could argue would really unsettle anyone, anyone put in his position. And when you add to that, the bipolar and going off the medicine, obviously, uh, that circumstance would be extremely difficult for him. So it's so important to recognize that this is not saying, here is Ben, he has bipolar, this is how people with 
bipolar behave. It's saying here is a very specific character with this disorder in extremely difficult circumstances. And this is a way it might look, you know, so it never feels that definitive. Well, what's heartbreaking and maddening about the whole thing, especially that scene where he's being told that they are going to, you know, place him in this hospital against his sort of will, he's having the most normal reaction to finding out about murder and crime happening around him. But it's an inconvenience for everyone else. And it's just so hard to watch him like spiral when what he's feeling and thinking is completely normal. I know. I mean, there was a few times on set where Chris Mundy would be there and I would just walk up to him. I'd be like, you know, the craziest thing about this is he's just telling the truth. He's just acting like a compassionate, normal human being. <laughs> and Chris said, yeah, I know, I know. And that, that again, is a, is a real credit to the writing. You know, they set up those perfect, tragic circumstances whereby we completely understand everyone's motivation and yet it will end badly. And you almost, you know it almost from the beginning. Will you share some standout moments with Laura Linney, particularly in the season's final episodes, where it's just you two in a van? Talk to me about working alongside her and having her as this scene partner through some of these vulnerable moments. She is just so incredible. I mean, we all know how talented she is and has been over years and in, in multiple forms. You sort of get this job and I'm so excited to work with such a talented actor. And then I meet her and she makes me forget that I've been watching her for years within five minutes. You know, she's so <laughs> humble and, and kind and um, grounded and extremely generous. And so I felt like I was her brother. I felt like I'd known her for years. She made me feel extremely comfortable. And I say all that to say that once you get to, you know, episode nine with those scenes in the van, those scenes can be um, tricky sometimes. They can be hard to do sometimes. And when you're working with someone like Laura, it becomes the easiest version of doing those things that that's possible because what she's always doing anytime I showed up to work with her was, was really holding the space like she understands everything that's going on. She's obviously giving an amazing performance, but because of her generosity of spirit and because of her experience, she understands what I'm dealing with. And so without talking about it, without saying anything, she's always holding this space. It feels so safe and so comfortable to be working with her. And so that helps enormously, you know, like these are the invisible things that that can either help an actor or really hurt an actor. When you need to be that vulnerable, obviously you want to be feeling as safe and, and supported as possible. And Laura knows that, and then she provides it. And so then you're in this safe, amazing atmosphere that's sort of ripe for vulnerability or creativity. And then you add to that Laura's performance and her skill. And there were some scenes where... I was truly taken by surprise where the scene went. And that's 
what you want. I mean, I think as an actor, when you come in, you do your work, you come in with an idea, multiple ideas about how a scene can go, you're prepared, you're ready to go, and then you encounter your partner, and all of a sudden, you leave at the end of the day and you go, I had no idea that that scene was that, and you found it together in the moment. I mean, that's that's the dream. You know, those are the days you go home and it, I mean, I just got goosebumps, but that's what you do this for. And those are the best days. And I felt like every day working with Laura, I was having that experience. I mean, I can't say enough about that actress or that human being. It's 1945. Hitler is defeated. America is looking to outsmart a new enemy, the Soviet Union. To advance in rocketry, aviation, and chemical weapons, America recruits scientists and engineers who fueled the war machine of another nation, Nazi Germany. Operation Paperclip brought the Third Reich's most ingenious and often villainous men to the United States. The War Department thought if we let them go back to Germany, some other nation will pick them up and use them against us. His file said he was 100% Nazi, a dangerous type. Somehow, the file was changed and he came in. I'm Michael Ian Black. Join me and historian Monique Laney on the series Paperclip, funded by Amazon Studios and produced by LA Time Studios in support of the Emmy-eligible original drama series Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Lerman. Available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, a lot of your most vulnerable moments happen inside cars, and I'm sort of curious how it is to work within that sort of confined space when you're reaching such emotional depth. Does it feel uncomfortable? Because I have to say, like, it felt uncomfortable watching the scenes in quarantine because I could almost feel the isolation and loneliness on a different level. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I didn't didn't even really fully think about that. Well, it depends. I mean, I remember one day doing a scene with uh, Julia, you know, with Ruth, and the difficulty in one of those days, in one of those scenes in the van was, again, you're filming in Atlanta and it's 100 degrees. And that old van, you can imagine how hot it was (laughs) inside that thing. So it it, it literally became, you know, on that day in particular, trying to focus, trying to play the scene and also trying not to look like you're just sitting in a van and sweating to death. <laughs> but I mean, there, there's also there's also benefits to that. There's something about sitting in a car where you're constrained, you're, you know, you're seated, you're boxed in, there's nowhere to go, there's no movement, really, not too much movement possible. And so it sort of forces you into... um going inward with the taxi scene which i think like everyone was blown away by that's a scene where he's you know talking to the driver sort of a mile a minute trying to make sense of his predicament 
And like, how is it to get into that headspace? And like, is there even room to improvise with material like that? Yeah, I mean, that piece of writing is just incredible. When I first read it, I couldn't believe what I was reading. You know, the actor in me was just so excited to get to play with those beautiful words. So I was fortunate enough to have a few weeks to work on it. We were block shooting the final four episodes and it turned out that the scene in the taxi was would be one of the last things that we filmed. And so I had the benefit of having a few weeks to really just drill, drill the words at home, wanting to, you know, get them as, as good as I can get them in my mind. Because for my money, there's no improvising that makes that better. In my opinion, changing any of those words makes it worse. You know, like there's a reason that you have writers and there's a reason that some of them are crazy talented and like they pick those words in that order for a reason. And if you can figure out the reason, it's like getting the key to a lock. There's a feeling sometimes when you have writing that maybe isn't as strong that you sort of or I at times have sort of felt compelled to muscle it a bit or sort of feel like you need to grab it and make it work towards a purpose. But when you have writing like that, all you want to do is get out of the way. Well, we also see that, you know, Ben sort of finds refuge in those moments with Ruth, who's played by Julia Garner. Did you find that those scenes were a refuge for you too in playing this character, like having those sort of moments of calm, relative calm at least? Yeah, yeah, totally. And 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 happiness and, and joy. It was so clear what Ben loved, you know. And and if you understand what he loves, then then it's easy to understand what he hates and why. And so yeah, it was it was really beautiful to have those scenes with Julia. And it was just so much fun to work with Julia and be around her and we were laughing and enjoying each other's company and it was you know, a very positive experience in that way. And yeah, th those those scenes were uh, a welcome difference. Well, I have to ask not to lighten things up too much, but how terrifying was it to scream at Janet McTeer? <laughs> Man. Like... That takes some balls. So tell me, I mean, were you just like, oh, my God, am I really doing this? Like, walk me through that process. <laughs> Yo, Janet McTeer does not suffer fools. I, I mean, I remember one of the first days meeting her on set and uh, I was telling her that I live, you know, upstate New York in the Catskills. And she was like, okay. She's just looking at me without blinking. I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I really love it. You know, I really love it. And she goes, why? <laughs> and I tell her, she's like, okay. And then she keeps asking questions like that. And it's like, yeah, Janet does not suffer fools. <laughs> like she is listening. She is responding. She is not taking any, any bullshit. Also, you know, when I was at, Rutgers, when I was a student, we got to study at the Globe Theater in London. And I remember being there and all the talk at the Globe at the time 
was that the next show to start the next season was Taming of the Shrew with an all-female cast and Janet McTeer playing Petruchio. She's always sort of occupied this mythic status. Janet not only is a formidable human being in the best way, but she's always sort of lived in my mind uh, up on a pedestal, you know? And yeah, it was pretty great. <laughs> it was pretty awesome to get to come down and yell at her because it was like, oh, if you're going to go into that scene and do that, you better, you better have something cooking. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a lot of Ozark viewers, your performance really stood out, which is a feat when a show's three seasons in. And I'm curious, like, can you think of a performance from someone who wasn't a main character that really pulled your attention? I remember the first thing that just popped into my mind was, um, God, I think his name is Ray McKinnon. He did like a season of Sons of Anarchy, I think. It was like an FBI FBI agent sent in to sort of investigate the game. It was just one of the weirdest performances I've ever seen, but it was so compelling. That was the first thing that popped into my mind, something that really stood out to me as like, what's going on there? Well, you got your start doing soaps like Guiding Light and As the World Turns. And I think it's, you know, easy for people to dismiss that genre. But in what ways did those shows like shape you as an actor or help prepare you for the work you're doing now? They were really great experiences. Um, I got my my BFA in acting at, at Rutgers and we'd done all stage work. We hadn't been in front of a camera. And so to get a job on a soap out of school was an amazing learning opportunity across so many vectors, like to work in front of a camera, to understand lighting and sound, to understand what it's like to be on a set, to understand uh, the pace of filming. And, you know, in such a basic way, like being on the soap, which is which is like a, a version of television on steroids, you're getting a script a few days before you do it. You have no idea where the story is going. It was really valuable for me to learn how to do those things, you know. Well, I want to mention that you have a role in the upcoming film Mank, and it follows screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz's development of Orson Welles's masterpiece, Citizen Kane. And it's directed by David Fincher. So please tell me you have a David Fincher story. <laughs> like that you tell at parties, like tell us your David Fincher story. I have a great David Fincher story. I, I fell in love with David Fincher. That was a serious man crush. But uh, one story in particular that I thought was a story that gives you some insight into into what David's thinking, you know. So, of course, he has this reputation for doing all these takes and, you know, he's, he's, he's working and he's giving notes. And so there's a day where we're on set and it's kind of a, a group scene. We've been filming for a few hours now and and David comes in, uh, it's like a five-page scene, you know, and the way the cameras are set, we're playing through the whole thing. Um, and one actor in particular has sort of the lion's share of uh, dialogue and movement. He's sort of like leading us through the scene. So David comes in and he um, gives the actor notes and there's, you know, quite a few notes and 
Not that the actor wasn't great, but David's specific. And um, gives him all these notes. Bop, 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 bop. And turns, turns to walk back to the monitor. You just see the actor's face kind of drop. <laughs> like, I can picture his face right now. You see his face sort of drop with like the, the horror and the realization <laughs> that now... He's going to be expected to execute these notes. And as David's walking out of the room, right out of the corner of his eye, he notices the actor's face drop. And without breaking stride, David says, if it was easy, I would do it. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was beautiful. I was like, man, this, this man, this genius, He's saying like, yeah, it's it's hard. And that's why you're here. Because I believe in you and you're good. I love that. Yeah, I thought that was cool. All right, Tom. Our final question actually comes from our previous guest. And that was Katrina Belf from Outlander. Here's what she wanted us to ask you. I would like to ask him how it feels to walk on to such a beloved series um, on season three, is that intimidating or does the excitement override the intimidation? What it was like joining Ozark in its third season was just like stepping into a warm bath. Ozark is, is just the dream job across every possible dimension. I mean, the entire crew is happy to be there. Everybody's friendly to each other. The atmosphere on set is so efficient and so happy and calm. All of the actors treated me like I'd been there from the beginning. I never felt like I was a guest in someone else's house. I felt like I lived there. Chris Mundy, the showrunner. I mean, Chris called me and told me the season. Like, that never happens. And it's so useful. You know, as an actor, it is so useful to understand the complete arc because it just makes it easier for you to do your job. But unfortunately, you almost never get that information, especially if you're a guest on someone else's show, let alone, I mean, sometimes you don't even get it when it, when you're one of the, you know, lead actors on the show. So, you know, that level of trust on his part, that level of Chris understanding what it takes for an actor to do their job and respecting that. And joining Ozark, it was a dream. It was just all the things you could ever hope to have from a job and very, 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 very special. So they made it very easy for me. Well, before we wrap, I'm now going to ask you to take on the role of interviewer. Our next guest, will be Justina Machado from the modern day reboot of One Day at a Time. So what question would you like us to ask her? And it does not have to relate to her show. It could be about anything. Ask her for her list of what's her checklist for wanting to take a job. What's your checklist? The script. It's just all about the script. It's all the writing. I mean, in my opinion, if the script is right, you could have something amazing. And if the script is not right, if it's not on the page, unless you're in very special circumstances, if that script isn't right, no matter what you're doing or how, how many talented people you have, it will never be quite right. Well, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time and going to all the trouble to do this call. We really appreciate it. 
No, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Enjoy your Wi-Fi free life. I'm very jealous. I wish I could disconnect a little bit. Thank you very much. And uh, I will and stay safe. That's it for the 11th episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We're talking to actress Justina Machado. I mean, we still don't know if we'll be back. It's, it's the same thing with One Day at a Time since the beginning of time. I don't know. <laughs> Never has show been named so... So like, great. It's like one day at a time. Are we coming back? Is it coming back? What are we doing? I don't know. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow. <laughs>